Well, we are back in our study of Revelation, and we're getting closer to winding it down. I was, we were talking this morning, and we're on chapter 17, and we have four more chapters to go, or five more chapters to go, and we're getting there. We're winding it down. But this is chapter 17, so we're going to see a lot of imagery beginning here. And these chapters, 17, 18, and 19, are God's step-by-step plan to gain victory over the enemy. Now, chapter 17 shows us how all the false religions of the world are going to be destroyed or judged. Chapter 18 shows how the political and economic systems are going to be judged. And then chapter 19, the Lord returns and judges the enemy, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, we've said before that we're not going to be here for that, right? How many are glad we're not going to be here for that? But we also keep mentioning there's a benefit to studying these things, right? We want to keep remembering why we study this book. Because we're not going to be here, we're not going to experience any of it. But the Bible says there's a blessing to be had by studying it. And back to our initial lesson, Revelation 1.3 says, God blesses the one who reads this prophecy to the church. That's me. I want to get blessed. And he blesses all who listen to it. That's all you. But listen to it and obey what it says. Right? The Bible says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. But then the last part says, for the time is near when these things will happen. And it's a lot nearer now than it was then. And every time we see something else in the news, I just figure out it's not going to, I'm not going to die before that happens. So I don't know. You know, it it could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen in 100 years, but I tend to think it's going to happen sooner than that. So we need to be about God's business. So Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The rulers of the world have had many immoral relations with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So one of the angels, they were, you know, last week we talked about they were passing out bowls of judgment. So one of these angels comes over to John and says, come, I'm going to show you what's going to happen to all the false religions. This is the first part. This is all the the false religions that have occurred since the beginning of time all the way through through Revelation. And in the Bible, false religions are portrayed as harlots, prostitutes, or adulterers. Jeremiah 3.9 says, Israel treated it all so lightly. She thought, of not- she thought nothing of committing adultery by worshiping idols made of wood and stone. Isaiah 1.21 says, See how Jerusalem, once so faithful, has become a prostitute. Now the NIV and the King James uses the word harlot, but they're all the same, the same word. Ezekiel 16, 15 says, But you thought you can get along without me, so you trusted instead of your, in your fame and beauty. You gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along. Your beauty was theirs for the asking. You used the lovely things I gave you to make shrines for idols, but you carried out your acts of prostitution. Now, in contrast, the true church is talked about as a virgin compared to the false religions were talked about as a harlot or prostitute. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a 
pure virgin to him. So when they're talking about that, they're talking about we worship nothing but Christ. Only Christ, that's the only thing we worship. We worship nothing else. Everything that God gives us is just that. It's material. They're blessings, they're great things, but we don't worship them. I heard someone say, whatever God gives you, hold it loosely. So if God can take it out of your hand if he wants to. And if it's something you hold in your hand that you don't want God to take, that's an idol. Now this is the religious Babylon, and there's going to be a political and economic Babylon that we're going to talk about. Now the religious Babylon will align itself with the political and economic Babylon so that the Antichrist can gain control over the spiritual aspect of the world. In other words, the Antichrist is going to let all these false religions happen. He's going to let them all be there. And he, but he's going to form alliances with them in the political aspect, so he now has the politics sleeping with the churches to, so he has power over both. And we kind of see that a little bit today when, when churches get into the political realm on the negative side. I'm not, you know, I'm a big proponent of voting biblical issues. But you have the other end of the spectrum where you have churches and preachers aligning themselves with things that you know are not biblical. That's where they're talking about. So you have the, the Antichrist, the economic system of the Antichrist, and the political system. They're in cahoots with the churches, the false religions of that day. So when the false religions are talking and, and preaching, they're using information they get from the economic system, political system of the, of the enemy. So, and because of that, the Antichrist is going to have the backing of the religious Babylon at that moment to back up his system. And the religious Babylon is going to persecute those who don't follow the Antichrist. In every age... There's always been that harlot religion that has persecuted God's people. This includes false religions, false cults, apostate churches. We have it today. It's been around forever. The, the recent abortion decision, we all know that one. How many preachers did you, come out, did you hear come out and say that they hated that decision? Okay, that's an apostate church. And what's happening is they're aligning themselves with the political aspect right now. And they're all picketing and trying to over, you know, overturn that decision. They're yelling at the Supreme Court and stuff. That's what's going to happen in spades during the, during the tribulation. And during the tribulation, the Antichrist will allow all these religions to exist. But at the end, he's going to destroy them all. So all the worship that came to those religions are now going to come to him. You notice how the devil works? He will allow you to be used as much as you can be used. And once he's done with you, he will kill you. What's the Bible say? He came to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. I used to think kill and destroy were the same word, but they're not. The enemy can destroy you without killing you. And he does that very well. You look at alcoholics and drug addicts and people like that that the enemy has destroyed, but they're not dead. And God can destroy your life, or the enemy can destroy your life if you follow him every time. The final form of false worship is going to be the worship of the Antichrist, and that is what is about to be destroyed. Verse 1, going back to verse 1, 
It says, one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to us. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on who? The great prostitute who sits on many waters. The great prostitute is a personification of who and what they worship. This worship system will have a form of godliness. They'll do all the things that you think the churches should do. But they're going to reject the true gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to reject the basic truths of the Bible. And we have that now. I was passing a church the other day that we don't agree on a lot of things, and their marquee said, homosexuality in the Bible. I'm, I'd like to be a fly on the wall for that, that lesson <laughs> because they're going to twist and turn a lot of scripture out to back up their opinion. And what's happening is, that's it. They're ignoring the basic truths of scripture. They're ignoring the power of the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. And they're rejecting the gospel. And that's going to happen, as I said, all over the place in Revelation. In Revelation. Second Timothy 3.5 says, they have a form of godliness but denying its power. How many have heard the phrase, I am spiritual but not religious? Well, spiritual can encompass anything. I mean, it's anything. And when they say that, they're trying to sound all-encompassing. I'm spiritual. I accept everything and anything that sounds spiritual. I'm there. But not religious. In other words, I don't have any doctrine. I don't have any set rules that I want to follow. I'm just out there following whatever is out there. And that's exactly what's happening now and it's what's going to happen in the, in the tribulation. Having a form of godliness, in other words, it sounds good. I'm, you know, I'm doing all the things that sound spiritual, but I'm denying that God's power has any effect on my life. How many have heard the term progressive Christianity? That's the new model for this whole deception. That's, that's another sermon. In fact, I have a couple things on that. We might talk about that at some point. But the problem with that is if you are knowledgeable about God's word, and I mean not just a few verses here and there, if you're not knowledgeable, you're going to be a target for deception because this progressive Christianity and what we're talking about here, they will take verses out of the Bible that sound good and sound like they back up what they believe, but in context, they don't. So if you hear a verse by someone that is actually a biblical verse, but you know the, don't know the context of it, you're going to get deceived. If I told you right now, the Bible says, the Bible says curse God and die. The Bible says it, right? So does that mean we should curse God and die? No, because the context of that is Job's wife talking to Job, all the suffering, and she says that to him, and, she, and he says, silly woman, why should I do that? You know, God gave us great things, why should I curse God now? So the context means everything when you're studying God's word. And we have to be knowledgeable in it, and not just a verse here and there. Verse one goes on and says, and I will show you the judgment that is gonna come on the great prostitute who sits on many waters. Now, this is actually explained a few verses ahead in verse 15. And verse 15 says, And the angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is sitting represent masses of people of every nation and language. 
So this false religion is going to be universal everywhere and includes everyone and every faith. Remember, the church isn't there. Believers have been martyred. So this is all the folks who are not Christian. How many have heard the term ecumenical? Ecumenical can be good, sometimes not. It's when all different faiths come together with a common belief. Now, in true churches, if you're a true Christian church, we can have fellowship with other true Christian churches who believe in the fundamentals that are true. Jesus is God, substitutionary death, virgin birth. You know, we may differ on the Holy Spirit. We may differ on end times. We may differ on other things. But we agree on the basic doctrines that you need to be saved in order to go to heaven. There are churches that don't believe that. And they try to come into this ecumenical group. And what happens is it waters it down. So what you have here is you have ecumenicalism at the end at its worst. Because there's so many different false religions and cults out there that are going on. But they're all getting together and they agree on everything. Which means they agree on nothing. And we see that now to a degree because if you look at the news and things that are in the paper, all faiths are acceptable except Christianity. Why? Because we have not rules, but we have doctrine. The Bible says all doctrine is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking. That means we need to know doctrine. Not just so you, go to, you don't go to college for doctrine. It's something you should study. But the problem is, other faiths have the same thing. You can't be a Mormon and a Christian because they don't align. You can't be a Mormon and a Jehovah's Witness. You can't be a Jehovah's Witness and a Christian. You can't be Islam and Christian. You can't be anything and a Christian. And it's not just our rules, it's theirs. So every faith is discriminating. You have to believe a certain set of doctrines to belong to it. So going back to verse 2, it says, The rulers of this world have made immoral relations with her, and the people who belong to this world have been drunk by the wine of immorality. So the harlot, or this false religion, has extended all her evil influence into every part of the world, up to and including all the rulers of the world at this time. So again, the leaders of the world are in league with this false church, this false religion, and they use their political and economic power to control everything. And what happens when you have that kind of power? You are drunk with the wine of in her immorality. What's it saying? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. They are going to be totally corrupted by their lack or their perception of the power that they have over the world. And during this time, the people seem to have everything. And they're succumbed to the evil because of the perceived blessings that they have. Hey, when things are going great, I feel like God's blessing me. But how many know that material blessings aren't necessarily God's sign of approval? <laughs> In other words, if things are going well, I'm enjoying the fruit of my sin. Hey, I seem to be having a lot of great things here. 
my sin seems to be working out. I'm doing all these things I know I shouldn't be doing, but they seem to be working out. They are drunk with the wine of her immorality. Verse 3. So the angel took me in, the, in, in spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns, written all over with blasphemes against God. The woman wore, wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. She held in her hand a goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. So this woman's the same woman mentioned in number one, verse one, this is the great prostitute or this false religion. And this is the one that dominates the world, influences the world at this particular point. And the beast is the world system or the political system that Babylon supports and is in cahoots with the, the spiritual aspect. We kind of getting all this? The world system and the, uh, the religious system, they're all together in the same evil plan. And the false religion is supported and carry, carried along by the Babylon political system. In other words, they support each other. The political system allows them to exist and gives them power. The religious system supports the things that the, the political system wants to do. Be like me up here supporting everything our government wants to do and then the government letting me do whatever I want to do. Which ain't never going to happen, so. This means she has to compromise, the, the false religion has to compromise everything to continue to get the support of Babylon. The minute you start compromising is the minute you lose the gospel. When you compromise your faith in order to be acceptable to somebody else is the minute you lose your testimony. You know, people may not like you for what you believe, but they will respect you for what you believe if you're consistent. The minute you start to waffle, not only do they not like you, now they won't respect you. Look at what happens whenever someone does something that's offensive in the world today what are they asking to do apologize bend over backwards and apologize to everybody what happens after they apologize they still come after them the apology means nothing they're out to cancel them out of existence so compromise never works and we're going to be asked to compromise a lot in these last days and we have to be up to the task of not doing it now the beast here is also the one mentioned in Revelation 13 Revelation 13 1 says and now in my vision I saw a beast rising up out of the sea it had seven heads and ten horns and as we know the beast hates God so all those inscriptions on her head blasphemies are no surprise Verse 4, back in seven, uh, Revelation 17, verse 4, it says, The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. The harlot or the world's religious system had all the indications of being successful. These items were expensive. Royalty was the only people that can afford them. So if you look at the false religion, 
if you looked at only in the material things, it would appear, well, they're blessed. They have all this stuff. They must be doing it right. But the problem is, it only showed a worldly and external sign of success. And if we're not careful, we kind of we tend to equate that today. We look at someone who's very affluent, and we think, well, God must be pleased with them, or they must be doing everything right. And even churches, we have to be careful that we don't equate physical, material things with God's blessing. It may, may, may coincide, but not necessarily. If you look at the worldly success of things and people, we might seem to think that success is always a sign of God's blessing. Look at all the fam famous people who have all kinds of stuff. I'm going to say that they're not on God's side, most of them. We always have to look at the character of the individual or the character of the organization to determine if God is really in it. What do they believe, what do they teach, how they treat people? If they don't do any of that right, then... All their outward success is n definitely not an indicator of God's blessing. Verse 4 says, She held in her hand a goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. In other words, looks good on the outside. The goblet looks really nice. But inside, not so much. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You guys look good on the outside, but inside you're whitewashed tombs. Things may look good at first glance from the outside, but looking in, what is their true nature? Her false religion looked good from the outside. Looked like it was pleasing to everybody, everybody can join. But inside it was full of religious and moral corruption. And every cult and every false religion today, they look good from the outside. Or first glance. Hey, they look good. Nice building. Good-looking preacher. What? But if you study them, they'll also be full of moral and religious corruption. The cup she offers is full of carnal pleasure and sins that are meant to please. In other words, anything you want to do is good with me. Anything that enters your mind, this false religion is good with you doing. You want to have multiple affairs? Knock yourself out. You want to do all these obscene things? Go for it. We, we're not judging anybody. It's all welcome. You can do anything you want. All these things that she offers are an abomination to God. And they're offered in the name of religion. We did a video series on Wednesday nights a while ago. And the speaker asked that he would go around interviewing people on the street, asking them what they thought God was like. And they all, every one of them without exception, gave an impression of God that matched everything that they believed. If they believed that adultery was okay, then their God was okay with adultery. If they thought that their God would even accept atheists, that was their God. In other words, they were making it up as they go along. They were inventing a God that accepted everything they did. That was without exception, everybody he asked. If they thought abortion was right, 
then they thought, these folks would say that their God thought abortion was okay. In other words, whatever they thought was right is what their God would think is right. Hey, if I'm going to make up a God, I'm going to have him agree with everything I think. His answer to that was, they were just inventing a God that does not exist. And what do we call that? Idolatry. You are creating a God out of thin air that doesn't exist, but agrees with everything you think a God should be. And that's exactly what's happening in the tribulation. Everyone has their own little God, and this one big false religion is welcoming everybody in. Whatever you think, feel, do is okay with us. How many of you have little kids that you say to your little kids, anything you want to do is okay with me? You want to go out until midnight and you're five years old? Go ahead. You want to play in traffic? Knock yourself out. Parents make rules because they love their kids. God makes rules because he loves his kids. If a parent did not, and you know, you see that sometimes in the news where parents don't care and their kids are out getting in trouble and getting hurt and getting killed because the parents were doing something stupid. And you look at that parent and you say, that parent didn't really love that child. God puts fences up for our good. He's not a killjoy. He doesn't want to squash your fun. He does it because he knows if you do these things, you're going to get hurt in the end. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They will reject the truth and follow strange myths. I would argue that's always been happening. It's happening now. It's going to happen on a much greater scale in the tribulation. I'm halfway through. I got six more pages. See, you all got out early. And it didn't get past me. You all got out early. I should make you stay for that, but I'm not going to make you stay. We will finish this up next week. I will skip to the last part. Tiff's quote about prophecy. Prophecy isn't meant to scare us, but to prepare us. Warren Wearsby's quote, Bible prophecy is not entertainment for the curious, but encouragement for the serious. If we only see prophecy as entertainment, then we're missing the reason why we study this book. It's supposed to encourage us because we are serious about living for Christ. Well, the question is, how serious are we? got a Billy Graham crusade coming up. Are we serious about people coming to Christ? If we mean business, then we should be involved in this opportunity. We pray for people to be saved, and then God drops a big crusade in the middle of our town. God says, okay, I've done my part. Now it's your turn. That's what that means. Be praying. 
and we want to get involved. And not just for the crusade, but for every aspect of, of Christian life. It means we come to church. It means we bring our kids to church. It means we bring our kids to outings. We got youth convention coming up in October. Women's convention coming up. A lot of things that God's preparing. And if we're serious, we want to be there, a part of it. So that we can receive whatever God's got for us. And it may be something different for everyone. But all these things exist because the people that are organizing it are serious about helping us to be serious about God. So that's our job. Be praying. And not just praying, doing. There was a part where Moses was praying before God and God says, stand up. What are you praying for? I gave everything to you, now, now do it. Praying time's done. Now we don't say praying time's done. But the point is, pray, 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 but not do, do. Keep doing. Would you stand as we close? Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Maybe you're here this morning, you've been in this church a lot of years. Or maybe this is your very first time in this church. We shared the gospel with you. We told you about Jesus and his love for you. But now we have to close the sale. The offer's been given. Jesus says, here I am. The Bible says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. But he's waiting for us to open it. That means we have to come to a point where we acknowledge that we are all sinners. That nothing we do merits us heaven. No matter how good we think we are, we will never make it to heaven on our own. And we will never have a relationship with God apart from Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus came to make that bridge possible. That our sins would be forgiven and we would have a right relationship with God and we can have communion with our Father in heaven. But it requires one thing in all of our parts. And it's actually an easy thing. All it requires is for you to believe it and accept it. And I don't mean just in your head as you, I know Jesus existed. But I mean you ask Jesus into your life and you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you because he loves you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. So if you're here this morning, you've never really made that commitment to Christ. You may have heard about it, and if you've been in this church, you've heard about it many times. Or maybe you've watched it on TV, or your grandmother, or your aunt, or somebody told you about it. But you never made that choice. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Because you're not guaranteed those days. 
So if you want a right relationship with Christ, you want to have fellowship with your heavenly father, and you want to be guaranteed of your place in heaven, all you have to do is say, I believe. And if that's you, and you want to make that life-changing decision today, I'm telling you, it's a life-changing decision. It will change your mind from the inside. It will blow your mind. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. I want to introduce you to the best decision I ever made. And I guarantee the best decision you'll ever make. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you. All right, I'm going to believe we're all committed followers of Christ here this morning. So, Father, we do thank you. As we celebrated your death in communion this morning, we thank you for what you've given for us to be here. And we thank you, not only have you saved us, but you have given us promises to live with and to believe for. So, Lord, we do that. Whatever need we walked in with this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit answers that need. Your word tells us that you know what we need even before we ask. So Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit ministers to each person here and whatever need is upon their heart, God does do a miraculous thing. Something that is verifiably a miracle. Not something we can explain away, but something that we can't explain away. Except for that God did it. And I pray as we continue to pray for this upcoming crusade, as well as every church service, Father, we pray that you'd bring people in who need Christ. Allow us to be involved in what you're doing in New York for the fair. Lord, our heart is to win people to Christ, to lead them to the saving knowledge of their Savior, the thing that changed our life. God, we, we love being Christians, and we know that other people would love it too. Help us to be about that business. And help us to, as the Word says, lead people away from the flame. So Father, I commit each person to you. Be active in their life. Allow them to have a great devotional life. Allow them to walk and talk with you in the cool of the day and let them know you love them every day. And Father, we will thank you for how good you are to us, how good you've been, and how good you will continue to be. Lord, we love you this morning. And we just commit our lives to serving you the best we can. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday and next Sunday.